Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Prometheus. It sounded like a good idea, but now you kind of regret it. Let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Vomino's Pest Control. When it comes to bugs, we don't meth around. <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we are filmmakers who pick apart films um, and try to learn. I don't know, just bring what we know about filmmaking and the whole process into analysis of movies that we cover. And with that, uh, I think I'm I'm either really killing myself with allergies or I have a cold. I don't know which, but we're going to dive right into it. So what are we covering today, man? Yeah, let's roll, man. Uh, today we're covering Aliens, which is the sequel from Aliens. So if you haven't seen either of those movies, please pause this episode uh, and go back and watch both of them before uh, we spoil everything for you. Because, well, it's the fact that there's a second one kind of spoils <laughs> some the first one in a, in a way. Touche. No. We'll cover a few things. Editing. I, I kind of want to look at some of the editing. Um, we'll look at the director's cut versus the theatrical, um, which I accidentally sent Todd. And we'll also discuss along those lines, tightening in an edit uh, to remove performance indicators. There's a, a little before and after I want to do with one of the scenes uh, just to show the way I would edit something versus uh, the way it was edited. Um, we'll also look at some of the story and writing differences in the script to screen of the first film and how that impacted the sequel. Um, we'll look at some of the cause and effect that happens at the end of the film, as well as off-screen action um, and what that means and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. 57 years after surviving an attack by a fierce creature, Ripley awakens from hypersleep and tries to warn anyone who will listen about the Predators. Directed by James Cameron, screenplay by James Cameron. His name is all over the beginning of this movie. <laughs> it's like every five seconds. Yeah. Cinematography by Adrian Biddle. Starring Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley, Michael Bain as Hicks, Paul Reiser as Burke, Lance Henriksen as Bishop, Bill Paxton as Hudson, Al Matthews as Apone, and Carrie Henn as Newt. That's everything, right? All right, this is absolutely everything that we can salvage out of the APC wreckage. We've got four pulse rifles with about 50 rounds each. That ain't so good. We got uh, 15 of these M40 grenades. Don't touch that. Dangerous, honey. Is that the only flamethrower? Yeah, it's only half full, but it's functional. Got another one, it's damaged. I don't know about that one. But the good news, we got four of these robot sentries with display and scanners intact. They really kick ass. I think they'll come in handy. How long after we're declared overdue can we expect a rescue? 17 days. 17 days? Hey, man, I don't want to rain on your parade. We're not going to last 17 hours. Those things are going to come in here just like they did before, and they're going to come in here, and they're going Hudson! to come in here, and they're going to Hudson! get us. This little girl survived longer than that with no weapons and no training. Right? <laughs> Why don't you put her in charge? You better just start dealing with it, Hudson. Listen to me. Hudson, just deal with it because we need you and I'm sick of your bullshit. 
Now, I want you to get on a terminal and call up some kind of floor plan file. Do you understand? Construction blueprints. I don't care. Anything that shows the layout of this place. Are you listening? Yeah. I need to see air ducts. I need to see electrical access tunnels, sub-basements, every possible way into this complex. We don't have much time. Okay. So, I accidentally sent you a director's cut, which is... Uh, about 20 minutes longer and all of that is front loaded like they edit one small thing out later but most of it is just these large chunky scenes towards the beginning of what's happening on the planet before they get there so my bad first of all <laughs> no i loved it okay i was gonna ask uh you know and so with with that in mind and, and just in general is this a worthy successor to maybe the greatest horror film ever made Absolutely. This is like no pause. Absolutely. This is one of my favorite sequels, uh, especially to a horror film yeah. ever. I mean, it's so strong in every single way. I'm glad you sent me the director's cut because I, I hadn't seen this version. And I remember I remember getting back to the planet a lot quicker, yeah. you know, but I felt like this was this was so good at establishing a lot of a lot of everything to come. You know, like Burke, Burke's character specifically, you know, like we we actually like Burke right at first. And he's, you know, even though he's pressing for her to go back to the to the planet, you know, it's it's like there's nothing to, you know, the way that he breaks her that her daughter has passed passed two years ago to her. He's like, I didn't you know, I didn't want to tell you like he's just he's not as horrible of a person in this version, at least at the beginning. So we see like Mm. a dichotomy of of humanity, right? Like because in the in the original he's just like a kind of a jerk the whole time kind of uh, but this one there's more you know i guess humanity to him and ellen has such a i don't i don't know you know like like seeing seeing her response to her, her daughter being passed seeing her love for the cat still uh and and her care for the cat like and then and just her total brokenness um, she sits alone a lot. She sits, you know, she's alone in her room a lot. She's she sits alone in the wherever that holographic place is, where she's you know in the forest, um, where she's told about her daughter. She's very quiet unless you know she's in that boardroom talking to all those board members, um, where she starts yelling because they're not listening to her. But we get to see, we get to see a lot of her being with herself, but also like in the in the synopsis. Her trying to warn everyone and anyone about the the dangers of this place and not just telling them, hey, this really happened because they don't believe her, but to warn them about the the dangers of the people that are on the planet now when she, excuse me, has learned that there are people on the planet. So I loved that. The slow opening is fantastic for a movie like this. It's just, it's, it's fantastic. We don't even, we don't even see an alien for forever. And that just builds and builds and builds. And it's so good. It's so good. But the uh, but the thing I loved most about this film was how everybody basically gets a redemption moment. Hmm. Right? Even the people that are super, <laughs> that are super annoying, like Hudson, right? <laughs> Paxson's character. So good. He's so annoying the whole yeah, time. He's so annoying the whole time. But then, you know, toward at the end, he's fighting his guts out. Hmm. You know what I mean? He's going down to the last last bit, and then he gets struck down into the pit, and and I, I love the way he dies. That's just so perfect. You just see this creepy hand come up and pull him down. Um, but he gets a moment. the The android gets plenty of moments to just be a, especially at the end. He like basically saves the little girl from getting sucked out. He saves 
he saves everyone you know he, he gets the remote uh ship down and is that not one of the greatest visual effects moments of all time oh my god him gosh. getting ripped in half yes unbelievable <laughs> and not just that moment of him being ripped in half but the moments following hmm. of him like you know being ripped in half but being sucked is sliding on the floor being sucked towards the 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 open door and then grabbing at the girl you know the little girl as she's getting sucked and trying out the door and trying to save you know save her that whole thing just makes you love him so then when we see him in the pod later it just it feels it feels so good and she's so distrusting of him from the very beginning because of the first one and we understand it we it's absolutely understood as to why but he, so he spends the entire, we spend the entire movie redeeming him. The whole movie, we're redeeming him. He's never, he never raises his voice. He's never scared. I mean, even crawling down that pipe, you know, uh, to to the switch. Every Everything he does is to help the humans, which is his primary directive. And it's just, it's fantastic. The addition of the little girl is incredible. Because it gives higher stakes than just losing Ripley, right? It's not just about that. So, and it also gives Ripley a reason to go back in to the hive, which raises the raises the the, the tension so much more. They could leave. They're supposed to leave, get off the planet, but she knows no, they don't kill them because she's seen the hive. We've already been introduced to that, right? So the whole thing. And oh, and this and the scene with the the creature when they're locked in the when um, Burke locks them in the in the uh, the hospital room, uh-huh. so stressful. Not because Ripley might die, but because the little girl might die. Mm. And Ripley's doing everything to protect the little girl. And it's the whole time I'm mo- I'm more scared for her for the little girl than I am for everything everyone else. Yeah. I kind of expect everyone else to die, even Ripley, to be honest. But but they have to save her. And uh, so the whole time I'm just, I'm just like, I want to protect her. I want to protect her. And so, and when Ripley has that moment with her in the, in that room and says, I will never leave you. I will never, I believe her. Sigourney Weaver in this film, I mean, this might be one of my favorite performances that she's done. And she's a fantastic actress, even more so than the first one, because she had to show love and empathy and compassion and and she, I mean, she showed sacrifice in the first one, obviously, but in this one more so as in, she doesn't care at all if she survives at all. And she doesn't care what it takes to try to get her message across because the entire film, yeah. she's yelling at the powers that be, she's trying to get people to understand. And, uh, she doesn't care if it's going to make her look crazy. If mm-hmm. people are going to take her seriously or not, she just knows what she experienced and it's lit her on fire to prevent it from ever happening again. So like that trauma is still ringing in her ears. And so she, yeah, I, I, I haven't really thought of her character on a more holistic level like that um, until you start talking about like she's in it and she's going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And I mean, even the Marines who start off as kind of like these grunts, right. Mm-hmm. Who just, they're going to go in and destroy everything. They're all redeemed too. You know, um, as as more more of a character than just these these grunts, you know, the um, what's uh, I guess Newt Um, Mm -hmm. not Newt, but who's the 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 woman Marine Vasquez Vasquez. Thank you. Vasquez at the end where, you know, she's she's hurt and they're they're in that 
in the air ducts and they know that this is it. It's over. They're, they're going to take as many out as they can. So they wait, they, you know, for the bomb until they're basically being attacked and then, and then trigger it. I just feel, I feel, and then, and then, uh, Burke dying the way he dies. I, I just feel like everything is redeemed in this film and everything is kind of closed up. All the loops are closed up and it's just a really good, it's a really good way to like, to expand the world without expanding the world because they're on the same planet, but, but they're expanding it in the realm of, of the characters themselves and, and building them from one thing, you know, uh, for example, Hudson, he's a, he's a grunt guy who's going to go demolish everything to then being scared out of his mind and he can't control anything to then taking out as many as he can before he dies, you know, it within the characters, they're expanding the world by taking them to different places. And it just felt so good. Cameron is so good at that, you know, in almost all of his films, he takes these little pieces. I felt like this was more of a story, a character story than it was a Mm. horror story. Mm. Um, And I think that Newt, the addition of Newt really hit that home. It it tells you things are going to happen in this movie that didn't happen in the last one because there's, there's new stakes involved and it's not just Newt. It's the entire you know, uh-huh. it's the entire galaxy, I guess. But things are going to happen here that didn't happen in the last one. There are more things at stake. There are different things at stake. And we're in a different position now. So go on this ride with us. It just felt so, so good. And at the end, it felt so wonderful. Even if it was pretty unbelievable, you know, her not being sucked out of the yeah. of the hatch was absolutely impossible. Her cli- being able to climb up the ladder absolutely impossible her <laughs> arm would get ripped off no way um but i, I you know i overlook that you yeah. know um even the way that she defeated the alien being being a little bit grander than mm-hmm. the time before because you know, in the first one it ends on a ship as well right with a hatch situation <laughs> same thing happened but in this case it's a bigger hatch she's in this this you know big machine thing so she's able to fight off a bigger alien it's just like they just make every, did the same thing but they just made everything bigger and the stakes were higher too because newt was there and and everything but anyway it, i just loved it loved it that's awesome yeah for me this is one of the this was the first movie that like made a big impact on me um, oh, wow. as a kid i was probably six years old when i watched this um, what yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> that explains a lot <laughs> it really does and it's not like i was you know not used to watching scary films or aliens and because i watched a lot of other like b-level horror movies and freddie and jason all that stuff i watched all that stuff growing up but this one i remember watching it and as a six-year-old thinking to myself oh my god this is a movie this is what a movie is supposed to be like and this is what the future is supposed to look like in a movie and it just it melted my brain. I couldn't like figure it out. And then of course, as I've gotten older, um, I've appreciated so much more about it uh, just because this is the perfect follow-up to alien and everything you said is right, right? Like they raise the stakes through humanity. Um, They also switch genres from a horror to an action film. And so now we're not treading the same beats as before um, where we're hiding from one alien and then and then they said, OK, so the first movie was about a bunch of whatever construction workers or rig workers um, who get stuck 
inside a ship with an alien. They're not prepared to handle this kind of situation. So what are we going to do? We're going to take a ton of people, Marines, who are trained to handle this situation. And let's see how they do. Um, and so let's let's give them guns. Let's give them grenades. Let's give them flamethrowers. Every tool that they need, we're going to give them. And let's let's you know let these worlds clash. And of course, the sequel being Aliens, uh, plural, uh, just also meant that they get more power too. Now it's, you know, we're going eye to eye and toe to toe. And so that was just a brilliant idea. And I wish more movies would take that approach when thinking about a sequel. Like, oh, the first one was an adventure film. You know, what if the second one is whatever, a heist film with the same cast with new stakes? And let's switch the genre even if just a little bit because this is still like an action horror there's still some horror elements um but m most of it is just rooted in tension and suspense it's not necessarily horror tropes of what's around that corner because i think we have that like maybe once with burke and his death i would mm -hmm. say that's a pure horror moment the rest are or not so much. It's very actiony, right? Ridley escaping, you know, uh, with Newt, the uh, the face huggers, and all those kinds of things. And so, I it's just a brilliant like. Let's not try to be the first one because it already exists. Let's pivot and figure out a new, fresh approach um, that now gives us access to other tropes, other ideas that we can explore. The action hero, and so now we get to see Ripley go from a survivalist to like someone who's there to kick ass and take names. Uh, and God, is she incredible? <laughs> like this. And that's what I, James Cameron makes so much sense to take this on whenever you see what he did uh, later with Terminator uh, two, right? Like he built, and this is the same thing going from horror to action. Like let's graduate or pivot and, and think of a new way uh, to reinvigorate um, and have new beats that we can play with instead of just the same old beats. And it works. It works. The, like, even if, you know, some of the, the visual effects are a little dated, like some of them aren't as good. The compositing, a little sketchy. And that's fine. The still, the set design, the costume, um, and but mostly I would say the set design and like the weapons designs are absolutely phenomenal and they hold up still. And I, I feel like the, the gun that whatever the M 40 or whatever rifle that the assault rifle that they have, uh, was a direct influence on halo. That looks like the halo gun. Uh, it looks like they just stripped it straight out of, uh, aliens. And so hats off to whoever, uh, was responsible for that. Obviously James Cameron is going to have a lot of input. He's an engineer. So when you look at something like the loader, that big exoskeleton, um, the, uh, robot that, Ripley, you know, drives around huge influence. That's Cameron's engineering all day long, but it all plays in harmony. And they set that up so beautifully uh, because they had, they set her up as being capable of using it. Ah, there's just yep. so many things, but Ripley as a pilot, like she's a pilot in the first film and he takes that into this film and just builds on it. He's like, well, if she's a pilot, she's, she brings a lot to the table and her flexibility, her ability to learn new things. Um, so she's really, really smart. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, they, they really maximize that. I'm going to run through notes because I, just... I mean, it's what it's actually what gets her back to the planet. Yeah. Cause they take her flying away. And in order for her to be a pilot again, she has to go back. 
And that's yeah. the only thing she has now because she doesn't have a daughter anymore. And, she has nothing else. Yeah, and I think even that whole opening before we get to the planet is really great because you get the I get the feeling this is Waylon Yutani's way of putting her on her heels so that she doesn't sue. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, she's got a really nice lawsuit on her hands. But if they suddenly threaten her, like, look, we're not gonna we're not gonna sue you for what you, the damage you've done. So there's a bit of a quid pro quo that's they're starting to implement. And in fact, if you come help us, we'll restore um, your pilot's rights and we'll give you a job. It's like, mofo, y'all should be paying her millions yes. um, based on what you put her through. But of course, what evidence does she really have? And so you can see why she's kind of stuck too. Um, and so that's that's a really good catch-22 that they start out with. And it just builds and builds. Um, the director's cut was interesting. I'm glad you said what you said because I hadn't, thought about Burke as a character being fleshed out and someone that we actually do kind of trust at first and that director's cut it plays way stronger um, with building our trust with him but there are a lot of extra scenes in the director's cut and I can see why you want to trim out those 20 minutes uh, because it does delay us getting into the action and getting to the planet but I can see why they also like shot it because maybe it's still good to film all this extra content as added exposition or setup, just in case the audience isn't reacting the way you want. Maybe they still end up needing a little bit more information in order to root themselves and understand the, the plight. Because you get to this planet and you're like, where did all these aliens come from? If you are not willing to go with that, um, then suddenly having an opening scene where there's a face hugger on a guy um, who discovers this thing, suddenly you can start building out the story in your mind. There's a lot of off-screen action you can imagine but uh, at the same time, you know, it's, so a lot of those edited scenes are her finding out about her daughter, which is good for Burke. That I think you're probably right. Like that extra four or five minute scene maybe does pay a little more dividend. But even that, we also see the the family stumble onto the derelict ship, right? The father gets the face hugger on. And I don't know if you strip it away and the story still works. I think you're better off for it. It's better to cut that which allows you to build all this suspense throughout the film. Like we're going to this planet. What's there. We've, we've had Ripley in our ear yelling about dangerous creatures. And so let us wonder, what are we going to discover when we get there? And of course we get there and it's all, you know, quiet. And of course the, uh, the director's cut also adds this little exchange with Newt um, and Ripley about Ripley's daughter. She asks her point blank. Do you have any kids? And she's like, I had a daughter. Oh, you mean she's dead. And I think it's not needed. I love that they ripped out all the daughter stuff just because they already have rapport. Ripley and Newt have a really strong rapport. We don't need to substitute Newt for her daughter. Um, and I think it's really good to let Newt, Newt stand on her own. Like she's still worthy of Great being point. saved. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so that's a really good editing decision. It tightens everything up and allows you to get uh, cut to the chase that much quicker it's a trade-off, right? Because we're still getting this extra time with Ripley and experiencing her emotions. Yeah. And I think ultimately the theatrical cut is a little bit better um, just for that reason of we're going to get into this stuff and Ripley and you have really great chemistry. And so I think that plays uh, on its own without all the extra padding. There is one thing I want to do. I've never done before and chalk it up to me potentially being sick or just, I'm an asshole. Uh, take your pick. Um, <laughs> But I wanted to look at, there's a scene in here that just 
bugs the dickens out of me if I can turn into an 85-year-old man. And so I'm going to play a scene and I'm going to tell you why it bothers me. Uh, and then I'm going to play another version of it where I edit it a little bit closer to the way I would have liked to see it uh, edit, cut. And so this is the scene where we just had first contact. Everything's gone to hell. We're outside. We call our pilot to come pick us up so that we can get back to the mothership and and bug out, right? Nuke the place from orbit and uh, call it a day because this isn't worth it. We're not, we're not on a winning team here. Um, and so... This is the scene where they're about to take off. Move it, Spunkmeyer. We're rolling. Hold on a second. There's something. Just get up here. I'm in. Ramp closing. So this is the guy who is her co-pilot, right? And he's he's off deck. And we're later going to find out, like, later, like 10 seconds from now that an alien's on board, right? He's got the sticky stuff on his hands. So the audience is already thinking, oh, y'all dead. (laughs) Y'all ain't walking out of this. Um, And then of course we cut to her in the pilot seat and she opens the door and there's a a big ugly monster that eats her face. Cool. But what bothers me is the way they edit this part right here. Hold on a second. There's something. Just get up here. There's this little pause between him talking and her talking why does he stop talking if he's not being interrupted and so i think you're creating a a shitty performance out of this guy's performance by delaying her cutting him off like he should still be saying hey there's something out here like i don't know there's some goo uh and then she's like hey just shut up get on with it and so he's indicating this is the way it reads you know to me is that he's pausing so that someone else can deliver a line that's terrible. Why would you do that? I think that's really, and I think the the intention there is to allow the audience to really hear everything that's being said. I think you're doing too much at that point. And so here's the way I would have played that uh, in order to read a little bit um, more naturalistic. Move it, Spunkmeyer. We're rolling. Hold on a second. There's something. Just get up here. I'm in. You can hear nothing between him and her. She's trampling his line. And so I'll just play that little clip. Hold on a second. There's something. Get up here. Now she's interrupting him and now it feels like a conversation. And yeah, of course he didn't finish telling her what was going on. Like she cut him off. And so that's the power of editing of just, I think, selling your world a little bit better uh, and also selling the performance a little bit better. It's not his fault. It's not that whoever that actor is, it's not his fault. That's Cameron's fault. Like he chose to edit it that way. Even if the editor may have presented that, that's something that you can pick up in the edit and say, hey, she should be cutting him off. And that way, everything flows a little bit tighter. And the audience feels like we're watching a conversation instead of two actors on a set uh, read lines to each other. And it's the little details, I think, that uh, help help build your world out a little bit more. Great point. That's, I mean, that's, and it's so small. That's, that's the craziness about film, man. I mean, about anything artistic, right? It's really, it's really about the little things and there's, but there's millions of little things, but it's all about these little decisions, right? And that is a great example of the tiniest little decision. I mean, you're talking, you're talking what, like a 
15 quarter yeah 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 like a quarter of a second or a half a second or something like that but it it changes the whole scene from i can't watch that because it looks staged uh, or it feels staged to man that completely works but it's something that unless the mistake is there you don't notice yes right you because you're only noticing the mistakes as the viewer especially you as as someone who is very learned at what you're watching right you just can't help but notice that you feel that you know so yeah great great point there yeah and just to belabor it i'm gonna play the audio as it was one more time so you can hear the pause now yeah hold on a second there's something just get up here it's like uh in flow it just bugs the hell out of me anyway but it's so small it's so small it's It's brief but he cuts himself off you can hear him cut himself off uh it's not like he finished his thought um and it that's the part those are the micro moments that that actor was doing something and uh cameron just you know flubbed it i think uh in my opinion it's half in one hand six in the other you hear that james (laughs) yeah Yeah, james you can never be the filmmaker i am (laughs) good luck with avatar too man yeah (laughs) i'm the worst um i want to look at some of the the story and screenwriting one of the things I like that, that they do is they give more screen time to characters that are going to die soon. And so like Hicks, great point. Hicks, you don't, he doesn't really come alive until the last third of the movie. Um, they spend, we spend a lot more time listening to Vasquez and her redheaded buddy, uh, listen to a pone, um, and some of these side characters. And so as we're getting familiar with them, they feel more important. And so therefore when they die, it feels that much more tragic. And now, okay, well, who's left? I thought these were going to be our guys. Nope, Hicks. Hicks is our guy now. He's our he's our hero. And then, of course, we get to know Hicks and we love his relationship with Ripley. He trusts her. He believes in her. They're, they're equals. You can see that he treats her like an equal. Um, he teaches her like how to use the, the, the weapons. And then, of course, he gets incapacitated, right? He gets uh, burned up and he's done like uh which is a great little scene the the acid eating away the 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 pads um that's brutal and you feel it the sound design there is really good i thought overall the sound design was pretty solid there's some sections that are a little questionable but i would say on the whole like the noises create so much tension that the 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 meter reading right that they're they're scanning the room and it's the uh, and it's just got this pitch that's revving up. It's really strong sound design. But Hudson, I think, is an interesting character because he loses his cool, to put it mildly, right? And it doesn't really make a ton of sense because, on the one hand, he's a badass Marine. Like, we're introduced to these people like they're uh, the hardcore of the hardcore. Um, and yet he gets into it and he loses his mind. Um, he's just admitting defeat right away. But on the, at the same time, it, it does actually kind of feel consistent with his character uh, because up until those points, he lacks discipline, right? With command, he's mouthing off and he can't really hold his tongue. He's just, he feels like this loose character. And so it's nice that they kind of build up to that through showing his lack of discipline, um, which of course pays off. And when he meets a moment that isn't got human beings on the other side of his gun, he doesn't know what to do. And uh, it's, it's, just mass hysteria for this guy um and it's also nice though because he adds a lot of comedic relief 
And I think that's important because he is really annoying. We get really frustrated with his, uh, like, I don't know, bad attitude <laughs> about, you know, being murdered by aliens. And, <laughs> but it's also funny. And I think that humor is important to keep us from rooting for his death. Like, on the one hand, shut up. On the other hand, don't die. <laughs> I, I want yeah. both of those things to be true. Uh, and that's just a really good balance of and way to use humor to, you know, endear us to a character that even uh, uh, we don't like. Luckily, there's someone worse. We have Burke uh, that we can loathe um, and just be annoyed by by Hudson. But the other nice thing about him losing his cool is his irrationality allows others to demonstrate their cooler heads. Like it's nice. It, it, it's actually kind of uh, a really good contrast to see someone reacting the way most of us would probably react, you know, when forced with imminent death by the worst means possible. And seeing that allows us to see how much cooler, you know, Vasquez and Hicks and, and Ripley all are even Newt, right? She calls him out in that clip that we played like, Hey, this kid's been living it. Um, and she's just fine. And he's like, he's not hearing that, right? Put her in charge. She's like, shut up, get off my back. I love it. I love Bishop. What a great, great. And this is going to get us into a little bit of the differences in the script versus the film version of the original. And so the last synthetic that Ripley knew, Ash, uh, in the first Alien movie, he malfunctioned and killed some crew. And, right, he tried to kill Ripley. The original Alien script uh, didn't have him malfunctioning, actually, but had him fulfilling an order. And so there's a whole scene in that first film where uh, they almost had the alien dead and they're about to, like, blow him out of the airlock. And then something happens and the alien gets saved, kills a crew member. And now they're like, what's what just happened? We need to find video feed or whatever. We need to discover what's what's going on here. Um, and so in that version, Ripley figures him out and he attacks to keep her secret. The film version was much more cinematic and told a more emotional and visual story uh, where the android simply tries to kill Ripley. Like he really does malfunction. And later they discover that he had secret orders um, that he was fulfilling. And so there's a complete inversion of the order of events. In one version, he has orders, Ripley finds it out, and now he's trying to cover up, you know, his orders. And this other version, the cinematic version, like he just has a screw loose and he tries to kill Ripley, which leads to the discovery that there was a whole other separate set of orders that he was following and which has a has a much better uh, appeal to the audience of what the heck is going on, right? Uh, there's an emergency. And so there's less anticipation and more fear. Uh, and I see why the writer did what he did, Dana Bannon, and I see why Ridley Scott did what he did. They both make perfect sense given what they were both working with, the words on a page versus telling a visual story. And the nice thing is that the cinematic, the film version for the sequel allows a much easier source of drama for Ripley to play on. Because in the sequel, now she's just untrustworthy of all androids. Not that one that had secret orders. She's She knows that they can malfunction. So on a fundamental level, this is what they do. They malfunction and they have hidden agendas. Like, I don't get to know what, they, what happens, uh, what their hidden mal agenda is, unless they malfunction and try to kill me first. And so there's just a, a really great sequencing that allows for the sequel to pick up on. And so... 
that's just a really subtle, simple thing that happened by lucky coincidence in the first one that James Cameron was able to build on in, in the sequel. And so now they have a relationship where she's inherently distrustful. And so we're kind of experiencing the world through her eyes. Is Bishop going to show up? Wow, he took off that SOB or whatever, because they've also established, yeah, he's imperfect, right? That whole hand sequence where he's doing the knife trick with uh, mm-hmm. uh, Hudson, like he missed, he got himself. He's not this perfect robot and he has preferences, right? He demonstrates right away. Uh, we don't like synthetic. We prefer whatever alternate life or whatever he says, like he has his own preferences in life. And so they're building out this idea that he's not just a ones and zeros kind of being like he has a, an inner life that's happening. And therefore, is he going to come back for Ripley or is he going to save his own ass? It's also a great way to introduce him as uh, to show that he is an Android because mm. he's cut and his blood is white. Yeah. Instead of like her just finding out through conversation or something. No, no, no. We're going to find it out through blood. You know, it's it's true. And to make him imperfect. Make right. him imperfect. See the blood and allow her a really visceral reaction because now yes. all her feelings just come straight up. like Just explode to him. To him. Ju- yeah. Like I'm with him sitting next to her. On a ship again with another android that nobody told me about. Like what the hell is going on? Yeah. Good point. I also love, uh, there's also, I think, a, an important moment towards the end whenever he's about to get into that unbelievably tight pipe um, that looks horrifying to me. Oh I can gosh. handle a yeah. lot in life. I cannot handle tight spaces like that. I will lose my shit. I'm not claustrophobic. Like, I'm good in an elevator. But if you restrict my ability to move, I will go haywire. Like, uh, don't ever do that to me. Um yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do to be completely honest. And therefore you don't know what I'll do. <laughs> yeah. But I love when he's about to get down there. I think it's a, uh, is it Vasquez, right? She hands him a gun and I love his, the look on his face. It's just this quizzical, like what, what am I doing? Here you go. Rip, Ripley. He just hands, yeah, it, hands it right back. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it reveals a lot about him. He's not dangerous. He's, he doesn't think about those kinds of things. Um, and so there's just brief little reassuring thing that they don't belabor, which is good. Um, but it's there. If you think about it, it's, it's really strong. The first contact that they have when they finally find the aliens. Oh man, what a sequence. The set design is incredible. I think they're still building on H.R. Giger, um, whose art heavily influenced uh, the alien design in the first film. Um, And now they've kind of built it out. And I love that the set design allows the aliens to hide in plain sight. It's great. It's a callback to the original film whenever she gets on her, her ship and we're sitting in this, you know, shot for 20 seconds before we find out there's an alien that shot the whole time. And now we're seeing that on a multiple scales, right? We're, we're seeing, I don't know, four or five aliens kind of unraveling behind our guys and they're about to get shredded. And I love that the set design, the lighting all played in harmony to hide them in plain sight. That's just gorgeous. Really, really beautiful stuff. I love the order to remove the explosives, the, the ammo, right? And that Gorman gives no context to his troops. It's just like, do it. Um, and that feels, it feels right and wrong at the same time. Like why there's that frustration from the audience. Tell them why, like you, you, you need to explain that if they, but in the military, it doesn't matter why you do what you're told. And all he needs them to know is that you are not allowed. Um, but it also kind of, it, it allows so many good things. Um, 
because it, for one, it highlights, I think, Gorman's ineptitude, right? He doesn't really get the stakes and how to communicate properly with his troops. And it also cripples our troops. They're about to, up until this point, they've had everything they needed. And now some of that's being stripped away and it creates a little time bomb of a bag that, of course, kills multiple people. And it also creates tension so that when we see Vasquez has withheld a few clips for her and her guys and she starts firing. Now we have tension as the audience, like, Oh my God, is this place going to detonate? And so there's so many good things that comes out of that one little moment. And then of course, Ripley's whole pilot backstory starts kicking into gear. I think right about this point, right? Starts paying dividends. She can operate a loader. She can drive their tank, right? She has tactical awareness. And I think all these things kind of go hand in hand with being a pilot um, and just kind of understanding your situation. Yeah, I think it all plays perfectly in character with who Ripley is. And then the alien splashes on the redheaded dude. This sequence is very, very fast, but I thought it was a really great edit because it's a really quick edit of him turning his head. He's got all these marks on his face that's melting. And it's a really quick edit of his burning face. Maybe like, I don't know, 12, maybe 20 frames. It's super lightning fast. But I kind of wish they would have made his face a little more wet. Because I think if it's melting, uh, we expect a little bit more, I don't know, blood and the liquid itself, the acid itself to be uh, some level of wet. And so, I don't know. I think that could have taken that to be from great to incredible. Either way, it's still very cool. I think, you know, good use of editing to kind of hide what you don't have uh, in order to give the impression of, oh my God, his face is melting off um, and it just hurts. Um, And you don't need to hold, just need to imply mm-hmm. and let mm-hmm. our imagination do the rest. You have the sound effects going right, his yelling, the acid sound. It's all there. Just get in and out. I love that. Really good at it. Cause and effect. You mentioned Vasquez um, and how she gets trapped towards the end. And then, right? So there's there's this really strong sequence that kicks off because of Vasquez. She gets burned, right? She's bringing up the rear. She's trying to save everyone's ass. And... Uh, alien comes down the vent on top of her like that's not her fault she just caught a really bad break she kills it because she's a badass but then she gets burned and ultimately she's still human but it pulls gorman back to help her and finally like you said he gets to redeem himself he's been a jackass this entire time but he's got guts he actually can play this game and he's pulling her back ultimately they get trapped and set off a grenade, right? Like you said, let's buy them some time. Let's kill a few more of these things. And that explosion shakes Newt off the ledge, right? Which triggers the rest of the film sequence, right? Newt falls, gets captured, needs rescuing, introduces the queen. And it's a really great cause and effect sequence that begins with Vasquez getting wounded. Like all these little trickle down effects creates a a really strong sense of realism, Uh, Because without that, I think you start forcing things to feel that they should belong when they don't, right? How do we get Newton to this bad situation? How do we get rid of some of these excess characters? I don't know. Maybe we'll whatever. This is a brilliant way to kind of trigger all these things that matter. Because up until that point, it feels like we're about to get away. Bishop is waiting. He's got the whip. We're about to get out. No, no. One one small thing went wrong and it had a cascade uh, of results. And I love that. It's just 
really strong storytelling because it's seamless. It's slate of hand. You don't know what they did and the impacts that it's going to have. Um, and that scene where the alien rises up in the water. Oh my God. Is that's, one of the, that's timeless. Timeless. Yes. Yes. I remember, I remember that when I was a kid, like seeing, seeing like things like that. Uh, I don't even, I don't remember the moment, but I do remember that growing up even way before seeing the actual movie. That Amazing. Moment. And I, we expect it. I think we expect it when she falls into water. We're like, Oh no, we've seen star Wars. There's something in there, you know? <laughs> And then the, the, the monitor, the scanner starts going off and she starts yelling at uh, Hicks and Hicks is like, I know, I know. And so the urgency is there and we're just waiting and she turns around and that's silence. What a great use of silence. God. Yeah. It's, it is iconic. It's one of the best scenes ever shot. (laughs) Like it's so good. Agreed. Um, Agreed. And so I love that whole in sequence. The last 40 minutes is a nonstop thrill ride. Like from the time the, the room they're they're inside the room. Right. And they're, they're yelling. Like, I don't understand. They're inside the room. Where are they? And they, they all look up at the ceiling and we had that slow, like push of the uh, Hicks coming up into the ceiling, the reveal. And from that moment on, this is like the best 40 minutes in film. Like it's hard to get much better than this. Uh, it's just w- one great moment after another. And that, Final sequence with Ripley in the elevator. Oh my God. This is so incredible. I love that sequence. It screams, she's a badass and it's about to go down. Like we have the lights going off. She's on this crazy looking elevator. Uh, there's so much atmosphere. The the alarms are sounding and um, she's sweating and she's peeling off clothes to be the most effective and combat ready. And she's prepping right she's got these flares you know like what are you going to do with these flares and uh, you have grenades oh man i don't know what you're going to do but i'm worried <laughs> like it's all just it's just priming you and the, and the clock is running we hear like 15 minutes when she gets in the elevator you have 15 minutes before meltdown um and you're just like oh god the, what oh it's incredible way to prime the audience for something awesome and that's a dangerous game to play too because what are you going to do? That's that awesome. And of course they, and I can't remember if it's in the theatric, but I think it is where they kind of primed us already. What's laying all these eggs. Maybe it's like an ant or something like an ant colony. Uh, ant hive is what Hudson says. And Vasquez is like, yeah. ants don't have hives, uh, idiot. <laughs> like, um, he's like, whatever, man. Uh, have you seen those Queens? Like they're huge. And that's really good. That's a really good. Whatever, man. <laughs> a really good impersonation of him. <laughs> I think we've all been practicing our hicks our entire yeah. lives. <laughs> Game over, man. Um, and so <laughs> there it is. That was, really that was real. That was the best one. Game over, man. <laughs> it's like a it's like a skater. <laughs> yeah, he's lost his he way is and he's on the wrong planet. <laughs> and I love it. And this gets back to we're saving things for later because we save Ripley's action for last. Up until this point, we've kind of let all the other actors, all the other characters fight. And I think it's so much more satisfying if we're seeing her fight at the end instead of the entire time. Like it avoids the redundancy. We see her get off, I think, one shot where he, she's just learned how to use the the gun, the rifle. And her and Newt are trying to escape the uh, the main room. And Newt points out like, hey, there's, there's an alien over here. And she guns it down. So... 
we see, okay, she gets it. She knows how to work the weapons. And then other than that, they've let everyone else do all the fighting because we're saving the best for last. And Ripley is the hardest of them all. And so you're saving yourself redundancy. It's solid. But that end sequence from the time we get back to the ship is not so different from the original. I mean, even from the elevator point, it's it, there's some similarities because the original, right, was her saving the cat. She tries to go back and save the cat, gets it in its cage and realizes she's out of time, tries to uh, cut off the, the destruction sequence, uh, which is a crazy way to de de design your ships, Waylon yutani Like maybe don't have little, you know, self destructive buttons uh, in, in your boats. But regardless, it also makes sense for Waylon yutani They seem like a bunch of wads. And so here it's all the same stuff, right? But like you said at the, you know, at the beginning, bigger stakes, it's all bigger. It's all like, instead of a cat, she swapped it in for, you know, a, uh, a, a child, a human. And so the stakes are bigger there. Um, instead of, you know, a thousand aliens or, or in the original one really hardcore alien. Now we have one that's like 10 times bigger instead of seven feet. It's like 17 feet, 30 feet, however big this thing is. I don't know. It's kind of hard to get a scale on it. Instead of her like just blowing out an airlock, now she's gonna fight it. She tackles it. All this, it's it's fantastic, and it's hard to do. It's hard to say, let's have that same experience as the first time, but make it better. Like we've already done it. It's already amazing. No, there's a way, and Cameron really did the impossible. Like I don't think that can be overstated to take something, repeat it, and make it more amazing. It, because it also fits the genre, right? This is an action film. And so let's have an action showdown between Ripley and the, and the, the queen alien. It's amazing. And it, it kind of starts with off-screen action. Um, and so let's kind of re rewind a little bit and look at some of the off-screen action that they have throughout the film at the beginning, when they all wake up, Hudson kind of mouths off and we end the scene with a pone saying, uh, you know the drill, get to it. Hudson, come here, come here, right? He's chewing him out. Uh, and then we cut away. Like we can imagine everything that's happening. They're getting ready. Uh, they're doing prep work and Hudson's getting his ass chewed out. And you imagine why that is, right? Our sergeant has to keep everybody in line and he's not going to allow for back talk. This is still the core and he loves the core. That's the first thing that's out of his mouth, how much he loves working for the core. And so you just imagine all this stuff happening off screen, Later on, Ripley falls asleep underneath the bed with Newt, and then we kind of reset. And then we come back into this scene, and suddenly they're in a whole new situation. She wakes up, something's wrong, right? She sees the, the canisters are knocked over. Something happened off screen. We don't know what it, what it was, and we're now going to catch up. Uh, we're going to put all the pieces together, which if you don't, you know, Ripley lays it out really nicely. And then at the very end, Ripley sees, you know, Bishop ripped in half queen alien is here on board with us um she yells for newt to hide and then she runs and hides from the queen in a bay she sees something and starts moving towards it we cut away and i love that it allows for this really awesome reveal of how she's going to tackle an impossible situation because in our minds as the viewer she's done there's and this is the best place to put your characters as a writer Put your characters in a place where there is no solution. The audience cannot begin to imagine how you win in this, you know, uh, environment. And yet 
it was all it was built in all along right she knows how to use the loader but we withhold that piece of information from the audience until it's ready um, and now when the bay door opens we see her in the exosuit and she walks forward and they take their time and it's so cool um, and we're just like oh my god yeah kick its ass <laughs> and yeah. from there we're just off to the races like what a brilliant use uh, of the or original sequence and building on it that's a really good game of yes and like yes we're going to do that and it's going to be 10 times, you know, bigger because this is an action film where everything blows up 10 times more. Um, yeah, I don't know. I freaking love it. Can't get better. <laughs> Can't get better. I agree. I agree. Which, well, unless Cameron, right. you know, wanted to make another one, he'd probably make it better. He probably would. Yeah, you know, completely agree. Uh, yeah. So I don't know, man. And, and we've we've said before, like, like, wasn't was the story about when he pitched it? Oh yeah, yeah. Go for it. You, is I think that you real? Good. I, I think mean, that's it is. what I heard. It's it might be apocryphal, but I think it's real. Where um, he just he walked into the into the uh, uh, into a production meeting and just wrote "alien" on the wall, and then wrote the S and a dollar sign at the end of it. <laughs> it's like that's a great pitch. Yeah, that's that's a great pitch. I mean, it's got to come from a great director, which Cameron absolutely is. But I just think that that's pretty awesome. Yeah, if that's good. real. Yeah, if it's real, but it's a pretty good pitch. I think yeah. maybe the the second half, if if he had to add something other than just like, obviously we're gonna make a lot more money. But the plural, the plural is communicating so much by oh, yeah. saying we're not gonna have one alien, we're gonna have multiple aliens. Then it's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. okay, like mm -hmm. go do your thing. Couldn't agree more. I think it's it's really satisfying to see him tackle some of these unique ideas, seeing him think around the corner of, okay, how do you compete with one of the best ever? You don't, you change the playing field. We're not playing football anymore. We're playing basketball. And I wish I, I've, I guess I already said it, but I just wish more people would listen to that idea um, and say, let's build something else. We've already built the empire state building. You know, let's, let's, let's make another building. Um, and that'll be good enough. I don't know. Yeah. So what are you going to recommend this week? Uh, this week, I'm going to, I mean, I'm stick with Cameron because I just think he's fantastic. And another sequel of his, Terminator 2, which is another great example of a movie that is not just capitalizing on a great idea, but taking it and turning it on its head, making it something different and yet familiar at the same time. Uh, it's, I mean, again, arguably another one of the best sequels that you'll ever see. And it's just funny that he also did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? He just knows how to take something and make it different and yet familiar at the same time. Uh, so yeah, Terminator 2. I'm going to recommend something that may not be super obvious. Let me double check. Yeah, I've already done that one. Nice. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if it holds up, but I know I really enjoy it, which is The Chronicles of Riddick. Mm -hmm. It's the follow-up. It's the sequel to Pitch Black, which was a horror film. And they pivoted to something more action-oriented. And I think it works. It takes a, the central character, puts them in a whole new world. Like the depth of the world completely shifts around. And what I love about that is they said Pitch Black was great. We're not going to imitate it at all. We're not even going to bring the monster back. I wish so many more people would take that idea. Mm. Because too many people get caught up in, well, the audience wants X. No, the audience doesn't know what it wants. Like the audience wants to see 
something that you think is good, not something, you know, that they've already seen. Stop showing us uh, reruns, like give us something new. And I love that they said, hey, that world was great. We're going to leave that planet behind and introduce you to a bunch of other worlds um, and see how far this this uh, universe expands. And so I thought it was a really fantastic follow up. It's it's fun. It's enjoyable. Yeah. Chronicles of Riddick. Awesome. Nice. Um, so are we doing this uh, next week? Yeah. All right. So stay tuned next week where we do not cover a movie at all. This is going to be a special episode where we discuss podcasting the pestle. So we'll we'll kind of take you inside uh, how we got started, how an episode operates. Um, and I don't know. Todd said he wants to kind of conduct an interview about this. And so I think maybe the hope is if at the end of the episode, you have some idea of what it takes to run your own podcast, you would be a little bit wiser for it. I don't know. it's a mystery to me as well so uh, (laughs) which is i know a place that you don't feel comfortable in not at all (laughs) (laughs) you'll know a lot about what we're talking about you know i'll send you some i'll send you some questions beforehand however some i'd like to get just off the cuff if that's all right nice i like it i'm totally down for that um badass so yeah stay tuned for that next week and if you're enjoying the show don't forget subscribe drop us a review You'll find out why that's so important next week, hopefully. And also leave us a note saying what you'd like us to talk about. If you want us to cover a movie or maybe a short series or a pilot episode of something, um, let us know. We can do that. Yeah. And so if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash aliens. And today we'll leave you with a quote from Google. Don't be evil. (laughs) So I found this really entertaining um, because <laughs> so many reasons, <laughs> so many reasons for one, this used to be Google's motto. This was their slogan that from their early days, they were trying to sway any fear that people might have about all the information that they have access to what they collect, right? Whenever you know what people are searching for, you can really find out a lot about what people are doing, what they're up to, what's on their agenda, you know, what's top of mind. Anytime you run a search, you're you're confessing this is the very thing I'm thinking about right now, right this yeah. second. And so Google for years had this attitude of don't be evil. We're gonna we we now we have email, right? They have the Gmail accounts um that can see really everything. If they want, they can read all your business. But their motto was supposed to be don't be evil. Well, like four years ago, they actually removed that slogan from their Uh-oh. their you know external documents. And that's worrying um, because <laughs> why would you want to, to remove that as your identity? Uh, I can't think of any good reason. <laughs> like, uh, And so that just kind of sucks. Uh, now, maybe it's, you know, some formal thing like, well, it was too nebulous. I mean, we we kind of like the nebulous aspect of it because it was a spirit. It was an idea. It wasn't anything specific because we all kind of know evil when we see it and the idea that you think that's no longer true kind of raises a red flag. And so what I liked about tying that quote, don't be evil into this film was Wayland Yutani was constantly, you know, through Burke and, and even in the first film, right. They were positioning themselves as completely above board, um, even though they had ulterior motives. And so I don't know, maybe Google's fine. Maybe that, maybe they'll go bust in the next 50 years, which is possible. It's funny. We always think of, the titans of an industry as being immovable. Like Google is always going to be on top. 
you know, we, we used to think whatever, uh, Rockefellers were always going to be on top and, you know, the, the train railways roads were always going to be on top. There's always something around the corner. And so Google isn't guaranteed to live forever at the top. If they're not innovating, if they're not trying to figure out how to replace themselves, hopefully that's what they're doing. If you're running a good business, you're trying to think of how can I replace myself? What, what do we do now? And what is going to kill us? Let's do that. And most businesses don't. They get tied up in their own identity. Like Microsoft is ripe to get busted up uh, because they don't really shift the way they need to. They're bloated. They're, you know, it's, it's just ripe for, for pickings. And so I would be interested in seeing like Whalen Yutani eventually, you know, getting pulled under by some other competitor or something. I don't know. I just see Google as the modern day version of a, of a Wayland's uh, corporation. I don't know. It just amused me, I guess is the real answer. <laughs> okay. I like it. I mean, it's a good thing to live by, right? If you're just constantly asking yourself that this decision I'm making is evil or not, not even if it's good, yeah. is it evil? Then you can kind of, you know, gear yourself, like understand why you're making that decision a little bit better or what's behind it. You know, I, I think a lot of times we make decisions and do things that might have some aspect of evil in them, but not really understand why or not really understand that, that it actually is, you know? Uh, so that's a great question to ask, but yeah, I know that's a whole different discussion. The <laughs> yeah. whole Google aspect of it. Right. But I do think it's a great model motto. It yeah. goes to the, the core of, yeah. uh, of everything. So great Agreed. quote. <laughs> this has been awesome. Aliens. Great film. I'm glad that we both agree on that. And uh, I'm glad that we did this. It's so, so good. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, as Wes said, please subscribe, review, and share us with your friends, all that good stuff. If you have a film that you'd like to see us cover, please make the recommendation. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, and until next week, where we're going to find out all the juicy details of how this even comes to pass at all, uh, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. And listen to podcasts. <laughs> and review them. And share them with your friends. And all the things. <laughs>